0: Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Get ready for the transformative message of May 28th, How to Live Grace, a feast for your spirit. Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me today. Hope you have your Bible. We're gonna cover some good stuff this morning. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Let me open up this morning just to ask you a simple question. Because I get a lot of questions about this, a lot of, of, um, not as many emails, but messenger questions off Facebook, my friends and the people on the Don Keithley ministry page. Let me just ask you a question. When your friends or family say to you, so I see you've left the church now, you haven't been to church in a while. Uh, or they say, I hear that you no longer believe what we do. What do you say to that? And When they say you're, you're not, I haven't seen you in church. Why aren't you in church anymore? What do you say? Or you, they say, um, I'm hearing to the grapevine that your beliefs have shifted. What is it that you now believe? What what do you say? And I get the the questions that I get is I don't know how to answer. I don't know what to say. I know in my spirit. I know in my heart. What I believe, but I don't know really how to articulate it, and I can so relate to that because in in the year 2000 I I came through some serious transitioning, and I began to discover some things that were totally contrary to what I had taught as a pastor at that point for 35 years. I went on to went on to teach another 18 years or so, 50 18 years after I began to discover these things, but. The first three years, two three years it was closer to three years were really tough because I knew that I knew, but I couldn't articulate it, so when I would teach, I would begin to teach these things to my church, and people would ask questions, and I didn't know how to I didn't know what to say, I couldn't put words to it, or they would hit me with a scripture that was one of those gotcha scriptures, all right, and I wouldn't know how to react to it, so I want to take some time this morning and just cover. Some very essentials, four or five things that you um, that you can really believe, that you can just put down as a good basis if somebody were to ask you. So, having said that, having said that, the revelation this morning is not going to be so much in the hearing as it is going to be in the doing and the actual living out. So, I just fell in my spirit because of the the questions I get uh, about this or. It's, it's, surrounding this kind of idea uh I just felt that I needed to take some time this morning and and just not really stop the bus but just say okay here's some things you can you need to get a grab a grasp on you need to really get a hold of so that when someone asks you know Paul said that we should be able to answer those that ask so I'm going to give you some things that may may help you this morning I was reminded of the scripture in second Peter 1.12, because to me this is kind of a sacrifice when we don't continue and deep dive every Sunday. When we do one of these sort of stop the bus Sundays so everybody can jump on. Especially if you're new to the Digital Cathedral. Uh, you may be watching videos <laughs> trying to catch up. This would be a good catch up time. Actually, this, is, this would be a great teaching to share with your friends if they're just coming out of religion into grace. Now let me caution you. If you share this too early, revelation without foundation brings condemnation. So if you share this too early with your family or friends, they're not going to they're not going to receive it. They're they're going to uh, they're going to lambaste lambast you and question what the heck's wrong with you. Your hair tick. But I'm reminded what Peter said this morning. For those of you here to Digital Cathedral, wonder how do I answer people? What do I say in response to those that say I don't see a church anymore, or I heard heard that you have shifted in your beliefs? I don't get it. What what's going on in your life? How do you answer them? What can you say? Well, this is this is really what I believe right now. This this is my foundation. And I'm reminded what Peter said. And what I'm doing is very important. Peter said, for this very reason, I will not be negligent. To remind you always of these things though you know them and you're established in the present truth so I guess I'm speaking to people this morning that are you know you're established in what's going on today you have some some good idea uh, and sometimes we just need to be reminded because every time we're reminded and I'm really sensitive about teaching the same thing you know, more than once or twice, I kind of feel like I don't want to bore people. You're going to go, oh, I already know that. So you're going to tune it out. But it's really essential that we continue to remind. I know when I listen to a teaching, and there are people that I listen to, and even though they may be teaching something I'm very familiar with, every time I hear it, it deepens it in my life. It it establishes it and nails it down even more. All right. So You've come to the kingdom, my friend, for such a time as this, you might just as well as accept it and know it. So let's recognize we're here now, let's, let's recognize the fact that we are embracing some things that maybe everybody else in the evangelical world is not embracing. So let's just begin to work through some of this and let me lay it out for you. Uh, this might be a teaching, it's, it's basic, it's foundational but it wouldn't hurt you to go back and listen to it again and again and again, until this word is, is becomes your flesh. In other words, you just bang, just like that. It just it rolls off of you naturally. All right, I wanna begin with an opening scripture. Here's what I think the Father's bullseye is today, and here's what he's doing in your life. Romans chapter eight and verse 19. Romans chapter eight and verse 19 says, for the earnest expectation of the creation, earnestly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I think the King James says for the manifestation of the sons of God. The New King James, which I, I read out of, if, if I'm going to do another translation, I always tell you, but New King James, kind of my go-to. It's not perfect. It's not infallible. It's not inerrant. But I like this verse, this, this bullseye right here. This is what God's doing in your life. He is, he is bringing you to, to a place where you are a manifested son of God. I think the bullseye of the Father's target right now is to get us to a place where we are the unlimited, uninhibited, uh, fully realizing manifestations of the sons of God. Now, what does that really mean to say you're a manifested son of God or you're manifesting as a son of God? To me, it means this, that we more than, than talk it. It means that our life begins to produce sonship and what it looks like to be a manifested Son of God to those people that are observing. Maybe those people that are observing back at the church you used to go to, but you have left and they're watch- they're watching you. They know you're believing something different. They don't have a handle on it. You haven't had a chance or an open door to discuss it with them. But a manifested Son of God is able to manifest certain things And believe certain things, which we're going to cover this morning. Four or five things that you you can just really get a get a handle on. Now, the main mainline church never never teaches on Romans chapter eight verse nineteen, the manifestation of the sons of God. I was a pastor for in in two thousand when I really began to make a move. uh, I'd been a pastor for thirty five years. I had never one time taught on Romans chapter eight and verse nineteen, the manifestation of the sons of God. Neither had my evangelical brothers that I know of. I went to a lot of seminars, a lot of conferences, never heard a teaching on Romans chapter 8 and 19. And do you know why? Because the emphasis was not on manifesting as a son here on the planet. The emphasis was on the rapture or the second coming or making sure everybody had their ticket punched to heaven by praying the magic prayer. That was the emphasis of the teaching every week. It was to come to a final conclusion of do you know where you're going to spend eternity because you're lost and separated from God and if if you don't pray this prayer if you don't begin to live this life heaven will not be your eternal home so the, the entire emphasis was on heaven and getting your life right before God in case the rapture happens you don't want to be left behind Tim LaHaye made a fortune on those left behind most obnoxious heretical books you could ever read on, on left behind and going through what it would be like to be left behind at the rapture, the second coming. So we never heard anything about manifested sons of God. I never taught on manifested sons of God. And honestly, evangelical discipleship should be teaching that, but it doesn't. What my discipleship class was that I taught, and if you came in under that system, you probably were taught too. Basically, it was an indoctrination. It was a a cloning. It was to make you another one of us. Not like them, but another one of us. And so we we tried to produce uh, a pew setter, somebody that would file in every time the church doors were open, uh, make sure they had their tithe envelope filled out, could drop it in the offering plate every week. It was nothing but indoctrination, right? And that's cultic. But that's what's evolved since the Reformation 500 years ago through two competing theological systems. One is Calvinism, the other is Arminianism, which all of us probably watching the Digital Cathedral this morning, you came through one of those two theological systems, and I'm not going to get into them, what they are. You can Google them and and find the history. I I came from an Arminian background. Basically, from the Wesleyan tradition that said, If you pray the magic prayer, but you sin, your magic prayer has been kryptonited. You need to do it again. You you can be saved, but you can lose your salvation. Calvinists said, no, the only people ever going to be saved are those that are predestined, and those predestined to hell. God gets glory and great delight in seeing them tortured forever. You talk about cultic. You talk about heresy. None of them teach Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13 that says that he gave gifts unto men apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip them to do the work of the ministry, which is to take the message of reconciliation to our culture. And it says that he, they are to be active until, and it list several things, and the two that really stick out to me is coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which is what we're talking about this morning, the manifestation of the sons of God, and bringing us to a unity of the faith. That unity of the faith, and I'm not going to get on a rabbit trail this morning, but that thing is really working deep within me. What is a unity of the faith? How do we proclaim it? What does it consist of? Because there will be a unity of the faith. Notice it didn't say unity of doctrine, but a unity of the faith. So I'm working on that one. I'm probably going to come out with a series whenever I get clarity and revelation on exactly what that means, because as manifested sons of God, we will be the ones that usher in this unity of the faith. So, uh, those have been the two, two prominent theological systems, but there's a new sheriff in town. It's called grace. And grace has, has upset the apple cart, the theological apple cart of both the Arminians and the Calvinists because it, it's proclaiming another message entirely. Right? It's, it's, it's really affecting the religious status quo. And it's called a pure, radical, hyper-grace. Now people tell me, well, there's, no, there's no, no, no scripture that says hyper-grace. Yes, there is. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The much more, and you can, you can check it yourself if I'm pulling this from memory. I think it's Strong's 5228. It's actually the word hooper, which means hyper and you can, you, can, you can follow that through yourself. So hyper-grace means simply that it is, there's no law mixture. Most of the grace you hear at church today has some grace, but there's a law mixture. There's grace, but there, if you do this, then God will extend grace to you. Hyper-grace, radical grace, pure grace comes in various levels of understanding, and it, it should be continually deepening in our life. It comes through levels of of consciousness. Act, real radical hyper grace is totally unfair. Plays no favorites, but it's been direct deposited into the life of every person without exception. Where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Grace exceedingly abounded. It hyper abounded. I think uh, you know. There's there's some. Good reading today. Brennan Manning is one I haven't. I don't think I've ever mentioned Brennan. He wrote the Ragamuffin Gospels, but Brendan Manning is a living example of what this grace was about. He was he was an Episcopal priest and he suffered from alcoholism all of his life, <clears throat> and out of that, out of the depths of that mess. He did some unbelievable, phenomenal insights into into what grace was. He he would he was strong on the fact it was unfair. It was given to the to the to the drunk as much as the self righteous, as much to the younger brother as the older brother, and the older brother as much as the younger brother. Neither one understood the grace that the father was extending to them. Did some tremendous teaching. You you can go to Amazon. There's a lot of several books, good books that Brennan Manning wrote. But the point is this, with with real radical hyper super grace, you never reach its limits. You never come to a place where you say, I have a, I have a totally exhausted grace. Now this has got to be, l- let me read a passage of scripture. I think maybe the best grace passage, if you want to go to passage of scripture, if you teach a home group, or you're ever asked to teach a Bible study, and you want to teach, you want to use a passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10 is probably the creme de la creme passage of grace scripture to me. I think it just lays it out so clear. Now there are other good passages too. Uh, we all probably get our favorites but this this is one of my favorites right here. So let me just read this through to you and I want you to see the super abounding uh, no limit grace that is laid out in this passage of scripture. And I'm going to read this and I'm going to tell you why I'm reading this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. That faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God before ordained that we would walk in them. Now let me just say this. When your eyes are opened to Paul's grace, it will wreck your soteriology or your doctrine of salvation. Do you see what he said there in in that 8th and ninth verse? Let me just read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. See, we used to take pride in the fact that, that it's our faith that we exercised, that accepted it and received it. We did it by faith. He says, it's not of yourselves. He said, it's not of works. A work is this. A work is anything that we do that we think will give us favor from God. Do you understand that? A, 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 spiritual, a religious work is anything that we do that we think will trigger Favor from God. He said, it's not a works. Because if it were, you could boast about it. You could look at other people and say, well, your works don't measure up. You you haven't done enough. He said, you can't do that. It is a gift. And then he, he nails it down, how much the gift is in that 10th verse by saying, you were created in Christ Jesus. That's an act of grace right there. That is the consummate, ultimate act of grace is to know that you have been created in Christ Jesus from the very beginning. Isn't Isn't that what it says? You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God before ordained that you would walk in them. Now, when I got a hold of that scripture, this is where we're going to start getting into the good stuff. When I got a hold of that scripture, I'm telling you what, it freed me up big time. When I saw that I was created in Christ Jesus and it wasn't my good works, wasn't my magic prayer, wasn't my confession, wasn't my faith, my belief, my correct doctrine, I had no idea what to do. That was It was totally foreign to me, but it freed me up to start a journey and I had absolutely no idea where it would take me. If you would have told me in the year 2000 that I would not be in the building pastoring and that I would be doing everything on the internet and reaching around the world, I had so many prophetic words that I would go to the nations. I didn't have any desire to travel. I'm going to the nations now, and I'm, I'm not leaving. I've got two places in my house that I've designated to, to do my my internet work, my teachings. I'm reaching the world and never left the house. I had no idea where to go. I had no idea what I would go through. I might have said, oh, hold the phone. I don't know if I, I want to do all that. But it freed me up. So with a deepening understanding of grace, I begin to see other things. So here's what I'm saying to you. Grace is a foundation. Until your friend or your family member gets any kind of, and this has got to come by the spirit of truth, until they get an understanding of what grace is, you're probably going to have a hard time busting in on the, on the other truths that I'm going to tell you that you can embrace, and you can say this is what I believe. They're probably not going to accept it because grace is the foundation. Everything that I began to discover. And man, when I hit that, it's like I picked this book up in my, my, my office at church. And I was like reading a different book. I saw verses like Romans eight nineteen, 19, Manifestation of the Sons of God. I never saw that before. I never saw Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. I never saw verse 10 that I was creating Christ. And I would sit there going, why didn't I see this? Why didn't those gray-haired PhDs that I had back in school, why didn't they reveal that? Why didn't they tell me? They didn't see it either. Your friends in the church, they don't see it either. The pastor doesn't see it. Everything that I discovered from that point had its origination in grace. So this is what I'm saying to you. If you don't really fully have a grasp on Grace is being hyper, radical, super, no mixture of law, no action required. It is, a, it is a direct deposited gift from God into your life that super exceeds any sin, any wrongdoing, anything that you can do that you thought would separate you or distance you from God. Grace super abounds over it. Wherever sin abounded, grace super abounded. If you send on a scale of one to ten at a six, grace was eight. You you send on a scale of t- one to ten, ten. You're the worst. It's superexceed. It goes to eleven or twelve, whatever is needed. So off this foundation, as I begin to look and I begin, I begin to see things. I begin to get revelation, understanding. I, I begin to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I would just sit in my in my office at the church. I'd close the door, so you know I I. Five other pastors. So I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to hear anything. I did. I just wanted to, to dig into this. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Didn't want to hear about their difficulty. Didn't want to hear about counseling situations. I really did. I just said, "Man, this. I got a hold of something here. I got to get down with this." And I began to see things, and I began to construct some what I would call pillars on this foundation of grace. But grace is the thing that sprung me. Grace is the thing that will spring you. So these pillars, I think, are what the manifested sons of God build on. Grace is the foundation, but we begin to put some some pillars up. Paul was probably, without a doubt, the best post-resurrection manifesting son of God that expose these pillars that I want to give you this morning. So when somebody comes to you, here's what we need to be demonstrating. Here's what we need to be living out. These, these are, as far as I'm concerned, these are non-negotiables. Now, the, he may change our understanding on some of these, but these, these I think, are, are, are what the Father's doing in our life. Right? So when somebody says, you left church. Why did you leave? And you say, "Well, I, I just I don't really believe like that anymore." And they say, well, "What the heck do you believe?" Or your family says, "We heard your beliefs change. What? What? Where would you get this from? What do you believe?" All right, I'm going to give you four four things, and then there's a fifth one that's working in my life right now. A fifth pillar that I want to I want to talk to you about. All right, number one is this, and this is the first thing I'm going to give you. These in a progression. As I, as I build on my foundation of grace. Now you might get these in a different order. I don't know. But to me, these are very uh, definite progression in what grace brought to the table for me. First thing is this. This is, this is, this is a pillar on this foundation of unmerited goodness of God uh, that was deposited into you when he created you in Christ Jesus. Alright, first thing that I began to see was this the universal fatherhood of God, that God's the father of all. I didn't believe that. I did not believe that. I believed that you were a child of the devil until you prayed the prayer. And when you prayed the prayer, when you accepted Jesus into your heart as your personal savior, which there is not one scripture in all of the Bible that says accept Jesus into your heart as your personal savior. This was a shock. The universal fatherhood of God. Now, until that is a settled issue in the sons, we're still going to have insiders, outsiders, have and have-nots. We manifest and embark by grace to see every person as an offspring of the Father. Now, what this does... And it's amazing because the more more grace you get, you see people different. See yourself different, see people different. The more that we, we manifest as a son and embrace by grace every person as God's offspring, this allows us to see people as the Father sees them. Because the Father sees them through the lens of grace and fatherhood, right? The more grace you get, the more we can give away to other people. It's just, that's just the way that it works. He, he sees people, listen to me. He sees people by identity, not by behavior. When he looks at you, he does not see your behavior. He sees you as, an, as your identity, as an offspring. Now, I'm gonna try to give you a verse or two of scripture that just will get you started as you, as you begin to get a grasp on these and say, okay, this is, this, all right, I can believe this. He's the fatherhood. Ephesians 4, 6 says that there is one God and father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. Did you get that? There is one father who is in all. That's what Paul said. He, and how could he say that? Because he's coming out of this foundation of grace. I love what Paul said to the idol worshipers in Acts chapter 17. He's talking to idol worshipers here. These people didn't pray the prayer. They were not water baptized. They didn't speak in tongues. They were they were idol worshipers. And Paul says this. I'm just going to re- I'm not going to read the whole story. Here's here's what he says to them. Acts chapter 17 and verse 20 I got John. No wonder it didn't go that many verses. Acts chapter 17. Let me just get to the right book. Can't can't read it if you're in the wrong book. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. It says, For in him we live, and in him we move, and have our very being. As also some of your poets have said, For we also are his offspring. Do you hear what he told the idol worshipers? That they were the offspring of God. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, he's talking to idol worshipers. Do you see the havoc this creates for your uh, previous idea of salvation? For since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold, silver, or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. He's saying it's an automatic. Mr. Ila worshiper, he is in you. You are an offspring. Now, you know what that does? <laughs> that eliminates the magic prayer as the entrance or the doorway into sonship. You you can eliminate all the church laws, all the church rules they told you that you must do in order to keep your salvation. Now, if you came from an Arminian background, yeah, they told you you're saved saved by grace, but you keep it by your works. That eliminates all that. Can you see? I mean, this is why we, we embrace this. He is the father of all that even Paul included the idol worshipers in the plan of the Father to call them offspring. It, it's totally by grace that we were Ephesians 1 forward, <laughs> chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should walk before him holy and blameless in love. His love. His love looks at us as being holy and unblameless. And, and un it doesn't look at us by our behavior. You carry within you the Father's DNA, which opens up the all-things-are-possible level of consciousness. Jesus came to fully demonstrate what this union with the Father looks like. Pre-cross, before he ever went to the cross and secured this, he tells the disciples in John chapter 17 that he is in the Father, and they are in him. And he is in them, John 17, 20. So pre-cross, he's even saying there is this union that the Father has with the Son, the Son has with us, we have with the Son, who has with the Father. So there is a joining, there is a union even at that time. So one of the things that we have to really, really get settled, and if somebody says, what do you believe? I, I tell them outright, look, I believe in the universality of the fatherhood of God. I believe he's the father of all. And then just wait, <laughs> wait for the kickback. If they can't grab grace and begin to see the fatherhood of God, I don't think we can manifest as sons without sharing the fact that our father is the father of all. That, that's a real core belief. That's a non-negotiable to me. All right. That, once I understood that, then I was led to the second pillar that was built on the foundation of grace, which is unconditional love. That was big. Unconditional love. Jesus, by his example, unhooked all the hooks that religion placed on God's love. And that's our assignment as well. I try to do that to Digital Cathedral. I try to do it to Secret Place. I try to unhook every hook that you might say, well, that's a condition of of unconditional love. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it, to say that unconditional love has conditions. So, as manifesting sons of God, we have to avoid in our manifesting any if God loves you if God loves you, but God loves you when right, or any other hoop, any other condition to jump through to be loved by the Father, Paul said it so well in Romans chapter eight Romans chapter eight, so i this is a this is a scripture that you can. What do you believe? I believe in the absolute, total, unconditional love of the Father without any conditions. He's the Father of all, and He loves us unconditionally without conditions. Paul said, "I'm persuaded that neither death, neither death nor what, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." He said, Not even death can separate you from the love of God. So, how can we put conditions on that? And this seems to be where separation rears its head, right? <clears throat> it's putting, is the, is the idea of unconditional. We, we just, it's hard for the religious mind, the natural mind, to not put a condition on it. And we feel separated. And here's why we do. Because we think all these things that he mentioned here, principalities, powers, height, depths, creative things, we think, man, when we screw up and we mess up, we give ourselves to the wrong thing. We're separated from God. We're separated because we feel our actions, our attitudes, our shortcomings, have disqualified us from this unconditional love, and we then feel separated from the Father. That's why I, I think he built this in me on the universal fatherhood of God and emphasizing that my identity was not my behavior. My identity came from who I be, who he created me to be. Now, this, this creates, if, if you put a condition on God's unconditional love, let me give you an example. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a man who was in his 80s. And he said back when he was 12 years old, he he was raised in a single-parent household, his mom. And he said, we were poor, man. We had nothing. My mom struggled, worked two jobs, three jobs sometimes. He said, "I, I got saved over at the local, and he named the church. He said, when I was 12 years old, I got a paper route. And I began to deliver papers so I, to earn a little extra money. I buy my school clothes and help my mom a little bit. He said one of the deacons at the church came to me and said that I could not deliver papers on Sunday and be a Christian. Because if I was going to be a Christian, I had to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which meant I could not work. He said, you know what that did to me? Made a choice. I had to make a decision. Am I going to be a Christian? Or am I going to help support my mother with the paper route? He said, it wasn't until I was in my 30s. <laughs> he said, I, I, I lived a wild youth. He said, in my, late, in my teens and 20s, said I, I, was, I was a mess because I thought, I can never be good enough. I will never measure up. And I lost my salvation by delivering papers on a Sunday. Do you see how, how demonic, how satanic this junk gets? Now, he began to get some revelation and understanding. We've, we share a lot of good conversation together. He's been freed from all of that. Now, I know we can say publicly that we believe in the unconditional love of God with no conditions. But how is it when you're by yourself and you feel like, man, I had a thought. I had, a, I did something I should have never done. Do you privately then feel like you are separated from God? I've had people tell me when I was pastor, I had people tell me, Pastor, you know, I have been to church in 20 years because if I were to go to church, the roof would fall in. You ever heard that one? See, we feel separate. Paul said that we were alienated, Colossians 121, we were separated and alienated in our minds because of our works. And that goes back to Adam. Adam felt because of what he did, he was separated from God when the actual fact is he was still, according to the, the lineage of Jesus, as it's mentioned, I think it's in Luke, Adam was a son of God. Our love to others is an outflow of the love that we receive from the Father. And this is a very demonstrable way that we can show what a manifested Son of God looks like. All right. Number three. Number three. The third pillar that I began to build on, if I saw the universality of the Father of God, I began to see his unconditional love. I had number three to come to a conclusion that I believed in inclusion. That means, that means, that we manifest, we, we see all men in Christ Jesus. We we embrace those that historically the church has, has shunned. Objectively, everybody was included at the cross. Objectively, every person is saved already. Objectively, it's a done deal. It is finished. Now, there is great advantage to believing. Paul told Timothy that Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially, not exclusive, but especially those that believe. Believing is what brings us into the benefit of the kingdom, where we're able to begin to receive these things. See, I I was included before I ever knew I was included. When I begin to, as I've believed these things, it's opened up the door for some tremendous things in my life. Inclusion is the foundation of grace because nobody is excluded from grace. Now, I teach you objective-subjective. And what your friends at church don't realize, they're honed in on the subjective, that if you don't do the subjective, then there's no validity to to the action. That's not the case. Objectively, every person in the world that has ever been born is saved, made right with God, righteous, justified, redeemed, Cannot be any, any more blameless in God's eyes. Now, when that's revealed to you and you see it, then you believe it. And it's that believing that, is, that un- uncovers and unveils to us the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. But never doubt that everybody is included. First Corinthians 15, 22, All die in Adam. Even so shall all be made alive in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 22. That's a good verse you can read, your friends. They never heard that verse in church. They heard Romans chapter 3, verse 23, right? That's this is one of the first verses that you that you ever learned. Matthew chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But they don't follow it up with verse 24. Being justified Freely by his grace through the redemption, the buyback, the purchase that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, but we've been justified. The word justified means to be made just as if you never sinned, just as if you never sensed separation. All right? But wait. Let me me look. There's so many verses run through my mind right now. I just got to. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all, even that Scythian. Nobody told you about Scythian at church. The Scythian is the guy that was on the out on the frozen tundra of Russia, unevangelized, never heard the gospel, and Paul wanted to include them to know that Christ is in them. Wasn't that the revelation, the mystery that Christ re, that Paul received? Christ in the Gentiles, Christ in you, Gentiles, the hope of glory. And then we just we just read Acts. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 28, 29. Let me read the 25th verse out of that 17th chapter of Acts where Paul is dealing with these idol worshipers. I should have read it probably earlier. It didn't cross my mind. But let me read that 25th verse. Oh, this is good stuff. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all. Life, and that word is, it's not three score and ten. He's talking about eternal life. He gives to all life, breath, and all things. You could spend a lifetime on that 25th verse that he's talking to the idol worshipers. He, the point is this. He included them. All right. Here's the fourth pillar. This, I mean this was <laughs> such progression for me. the fourth pillar you know I, I teach on these things. fourth pillar was mercy that endures forever it, it escapes me right now the psalm I was trying I was trying mentally to run through the computer what psalm it is that he says his mercy endures forever like twenty times or twenty five times in the psalm, but his mercy does endure forever. I read you Ephesians chapter 2 and I put a little emphasis on one of the verses that I want to emphasize again. And it might be why the Father kind of ran this progression with me. I don't know. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he's loved us. So his mercy, let let me read again, listen. He's rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love which he had for us. His mercy endures forever. One of the Psalms says that his mercy is new every morning. Man, aren't you glad for that? His mercy is new every morning. The goodness of God reaches all without limitation. And it's new every day. His mercy is new every day every morning when you get up and it's his mercy for me that springs the first three springs the first three these first four grace, grace pillars have a lot to do with how we see the father and then how he correctly sees us right and it's how you then can correctly begin to see other people we see other people through the Father, universal fatherhood of God, they're God's children. We see them as being unconditionally loved. We see them included, and we see the mercy of God extending toward them. So, if somebody says, "You don't, you don't believe like you used to believe," what do you believe? You can say, "I believe in the universal fatherhood of God," and I, I think that uh, Rome, I think that Ephesians chapter two. Uh, what is it? Chapter four, verse six says that there's only one God and Father, and He's in everybody. Well, I I believe that God has unconditional love. There's There's no conditions to His agape. See, they all know the word agape, but they all put conditions on it. I believe, third of all, I believe God included everybody. Nobody excluded at the cross. They might not know it. They're not awakened to it, ever received revelation. Therefore, they can't believe. See, we've we we've, we've made this believing thing in a a work that if we believe, then that triggers the favor and the goodness of God. And that's not true. You cannot believe until you get revelation, until you absolutely see it for yourself. So we're included. He says everybody died. Net, you you believe all your friends are universalists when it comes to Adam. They believe he affected everybody. But when it comes to the last Adam, they become very selective. And there's 45,000 ways right now that God becomes selective according to denominational beliefs. you got to pray the prayer. Some say you've got to pray the prayer be baptized. Some say you got to pray the prayer be baptized in Jesus' name only. Some believe you got to pray the prayer be baptized in Jesus' name only and speak in tongues in order to be included into the family of God. Now, what I want you to get out of this this morning, and this might be just a little bit shorter than some some weeks teaching but i I just had on my heart was it was on me this week to come to you and say, "Look, when your friends ask you when your family asks you you're not in church, what do you believe I heard you heard you went off the deep end, what is it you believe I want you to I want you to 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 meditate on these four things until they become like Uh, tools out of a toolbox. You can pull that out any time. You can talk about inclusion. You can give some verses of scripture um, that will will show that. Now, they're going to have a verse that probably in their mind offsets it. Don't argue about it. The worst thing that you can do is try to argue somebody into the unconditional love of God. These things that you now believe, if you look back at it, Nobody forced you into it. I tell you all the time on the Digital Cathedral, don't believe it just because I teach it. Don't believe it just because I put it out there. You need to get it for yourself. So all four of these things you need, to, you need to embrace. I think they're all legitimate. I think they're all essential. They're what I teach off of. And you can look back and go through my teachings. Most of them at some point kind of connect to one of these four. I didn't get to the fifth pillar that he's working on today. I'll, I'll do that some other time. But if you can just get these four down to where you can converse with them. And the only way that you're going to get these down is to think about it. To meditate it. To go over the scriptures. See, I, I, I didn't, I, I, I could have given you a lot more scriptures. But once you, once you start to pull the thread, you pull it, the whole thing's going to unravel. And you're going to see more scriptures for yourself. Matter of fact, just in your Bible reading, your meditation, your thinking, all all the scripture that you learned back at the evangelical church is not in vain. It's in there. It's in there. Now, what the Spirit of Truth is going to do, he's going to bring it forward in your consciousness. Some of you have already experienced this. He's going to bring it forward in your consciousness, not change the scripture, but he's going to totally change the lens through which you view it through. And the lens that you will view it through will be through the fatherhood of God, unconditional love, inclusion, and mercy that endures forever. I'll tell you what, guys. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I've never been so convinced of it in my life. You are manifesting as a son of God on the planet. He has plucked you up for whatever reason. I'm sure one reason is because you got thick skin. You can take rejection. He plucked you up, pulled you out, set you aside, began to pour into you like he did Paul. Paul suffered rejection. The big three wanted nothing to do. Peter, James, and John did not fellowship with Paul. Paul straightened Peter out more than one time. And James taught a mixture message of faith and works. John still had some vestiges of that old Jewish tradition when he taught 1 John. Paul was pretty much by himself. You have come to the kingdom for such time as to manifest and to verbalize the unconditional fatherhood of God, his unconditional love, his inclusion of all, and the mercy that he extends to every man. That is the gospel. That is the good news, so we can share it. Fair enough? All right. I think I've gone far enough with you. We'll continue on this some, sometime in the future. But I just wanted to give you some wrenches and pliers and screwdrivers, some tools that you could address when people ask you, what is it that you believe? Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning, same time, same place, and we'll continue to dive in and make this journey together. Thank you so much for your support. It's your support, continued, faithful support, that enables me to do what I do. And your prayer, and your thoughts, and your participation. See you Wednesday, see you Sunday. Have a great week, bye-bye. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.